bigger than mine. Oh, oh man. Well, uh, friends, happy July 4th weekend. Happy July 4th tomorrow. Uh, I hope you enjoy the weather and friends and family and whatever you have planned. I hope it's awesome. Uh, I was just kind of reflecting about July 4th this morning, just, you know, knowing I was going to have to say something when I came up here. But I, I, I'm really feeling thankful today. Thankful that we live in a country, a democracy where we, the people, get to have a voice where we get to be part of the process and choose the people and choose the, you know, the direction and help, help put into that. A lot of people around the world don't get that opportunity, and we do. And yeah, we don't get it right all the time. We're not perfect, but, but we've got a pretty good foundation. I'm just feeling thankful that that's where we live in uh, this country, and we get to be a part of that. So uh, happy birthday, America. I'm feeling thankful for you, and I hope you are as well. And I hope you enjoy your July 4th celebrations, whatever they might look like over the next next couple days. Hopefully some fireworks are involved and uh, yeah, enjoy it. Um, in a couple days, we've got a, a fairly good group of students and leaders heading off to Life Conference. Uh, just leaving, when, Russ, when do you guys leave? 2 a.m. to like Monday 2 a.m. or Tuesday 2 a.m.? Tuesday, 2 a.m., so uh, th that's really early. And uh, you guys got a, a good group of, of students, leaders, heading off to this, um, if you're not familiar, Life Conference. Every th three years, our denomination puts on this big conference for high school students, and thousands and thousands of people attend, uh, young people and uh, you know, youth pastors, youth leaders, parents, all that. And it is a, a big week for so many kids who go. Uh, you know, I was a youth pastor for a few years. I got to take a group to Life Conference, and coming back, it really is a, a life-defining moment for so many of these students who... They're learning about God. They might hear God's call on their lives. Many hear God's call on their lives to, to vocational ministry, going overseas as a missionary or, or being a pastor, or just the call of what it means to follow Jesus in whatever vocation they, they're pursuing and how to integrate faith and all those things. It really is a big week of, of growth of fun, of worship, and it is worth every second and every penny it takes to get there. So uh, we got this group going at 2 a.m. on Tuesday, and church, as they go, I want to spend a moment uh, praying for them this morning. So if you're going to Life Conference, if you're in the room today, whether you're a leader or a student, uh, would you stand up? Love, just don't be shy. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah, we're like so stoked for you. It's gonna, yeah. You're gonna, have, you're gonna have a really, really great week. I'm excited for you. You can sit down if you want. Um, <laughs> and we'll make those uh, high schoolers stand too long. Um, but let, uh, let's pray for them, church family, because this is, you know, this is our family going to, to experience this week, and uh, we get to support them in a number of ways. One of them is through prayer. So let's, uh, let's spend a moment. Let's pray for these students and leaders as they go. So church, would you join me as we pray for them? God, um, man, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for Life Conference. Thank you that our, not only our church, but our denomination really cares about young people and is invested and interested in seeing them grow and be challenged and be encouraged and really discover the call you have for them. So Lord, we pray for this group that's going that you would speak to them and they would hear you. 
Open their ears and eyes to what you're saying and what you're doing in their lives. Help them to have the, the wisdom and the courage that as they come back to, to take whatever steps it is to follow whatever call you have placed on them. Help the leaders to, to shepherd them well. Give them a lot of patience. And Lord, give these students just a, a great sense of your presence with them, your love for them, and your call on them. We do pray as well, Lord, for safety, bus rides and plane travel and cars and, you know, Lord, we pray that they would be safe. No hiccups, nothing to report. And Lord, that those times spent going from point A to point B would be productive times. Times of laughter, times of growing friendships, of making new friends, and of encouraging each other along the way. Um, Lord, we pray that you would work in this time, not just from the stage and not just in seminars, but in the friendships, in the quiet moments, in the car rides. And God, would it just be a great week and would they come back energized and ready uh, to follow you in a new way. Lord, we ask your blessing with this group as they go. And Lord, we know that great things are gonna happen for your glory. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, church, for praying. Um, so today we are uh, we're going to finish up this quick two-week sermon series that we started last week uh, called "Don't Waste Your Summer." You know, we all love summer. Summer's here, in case you didn't notice, and it's awesome. It's the best. Uh, summertime, we actually get to spend time outdoors for extended periods of time. Right? It's awesome. Uh, there's so much to do: beach days on the lake, cookouts, hikes, golf. Uh, bike rides, whatever it is you like to do in the summer. I hope you do it, and you do it often. And with all that summer fun, for many of us, comes sort of a different pace in the summer months. Uh, maybe a little bit slower, maybe a little less productive. There's less people in the office, and some more time might go to waste, so to speak. But I hope you don't waste time this summer while you waste time this summer, if that makes any sense. I hope you don't waste your summer. When it comes to your faith and your relationship in Jesus, don't waste your summer. Uh, so these two weeks, we've been talking about how not to let summer go to waste for faith, for relationship with Jesus, and for the opportunities that come along when life looks different in the summer months. Uh, next week, Pastor Scott will be back in continuing the series that we've been in called um, Church More Than a Building, right? Looking at the book of Acts. And he wanted me to tell you that be ready for next week's sermon because it's going to be rated PG. Now, I don't know if that, like, normally a Scott sermon is PG-13 or G-rated, so I don't know what that means, but be ready. It's going to be interesting either way, so he wanted me to let you know. Um, so uh, let's get into it today as we talk about uh, Don't Waste Your Summer. We've been looking at these few verses from the book of Colossians, and if you were here last week, you might remember we talked about how the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church while he was under house arrest in Rome waiting for his trial before Caesar, after which he was likely executed. So as Paul, he wraps up this letter to the Colossians. These are some of the final instructions that he gives to the church and to us today as we read it. So let's go to verses 2 through 6, Colossians chapter 4. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So last week, we read some of these verses, and we talked uh, through verses 2, 3, and 4, and we talked about prayer, how and what to pray this summer uh, so it doesn't go to waste. Uh, If you missed it, you can check out the YouTube channel. It's there, or catch up on any previous sermon there on YouTube. Uh, Today, we're going to dig into verses 5 and 6 and continue this conversation about what we can do to make sure our summer doesn't go to waste. So let me read verses 5 and 6 again, and then we'll we'll sort of get into it. So here we go, verse 5 and 6 again. It says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So in verses 3 and 4, right before this, Paul, he's asking the people to pray for him, the church to pray for him, as he's in prison, but continuing to do the work that God has called him to, to share the message of Jesus and to share it clearly. He prays for open doors and asks for prayer for that, to his message. Um, We might say he prays for opportunity and to not let that opportunity go to waste, and as he comes here to verses 5 and 6, Paul makes a shift in kind of the focus of who he's, what he's talking about. He shifts his focus from asking for prayer for himself, hey, pray for me, to shifting towards the Colossian church and saying, now you do this. And he makes that shift here. And I think what he says in these couple verses isn't just about how to handle opportunities that we get, but what he says, I think, here helps create opportunities for us. You want opportunities to talk about Jesus with people? Well, do this. Be like this. Uh, When I was 19 years old, I was starting to re-engage with my faith and and Jesus after a year or so of kind of setting it aside, being apathetic, and, and, uh, you know, just kind of letting that year go by. But I started to re-engage. So during those years, 19, 20, 21, into my early 20s there, I was, I was getting more involved in the church, in the life of the church, and serving and leading ministries and worshiping. And uh, during that time, I was going to school part-time, and I was also working part-time at, at Starbucks. Now, at Starbucks, I had a, a bunch of coworkers my age, you know, go figure, early 20s working at Starbucks. And uh, one of the young women who was part of our uh, staff there, uh, she was, her life was just a mess. It was, a, it was just a mess. And, and uh, she was fun to work with. She kept things interesting, but her personal life wasn't all together, we'll say. And I won't go into that, but we'll say just, you know, lots of bad decisions and things weren't easy for her, much from her own doing and her own decision making. And we all knew it. And she would talk about it to us. She was not shy about talking about her life to our, you know, us coworkers. And for most of uh, the people we worked with, she would start to tell what was going on or, or whatever. And, and they would always answer her with advice. Well, just stop doing that. Well, start doing this instead. And they'd answer with advice. Now, advice is good. We need advice. But advice isn't always what's helpful to someone who's in pain. Advice can often come across as judgmental to someone who's uh, going through something. So uh, whether it was unintentional or intentional, I I couldn't say at this point, but I do remember I rarely, if ever, gave her advice. I never really gave her advice. I'm just not that big of an advice giver. 
So when it was just her and I, or just a couple of us, I'd always, I'd always ask her though, because I knew what was going on. I said, hey, how are you doing? Tell me, tell me how you're doing. And she would talk, and I would just listen. Without judgment, I hope, and without advice giving, she knew me as someone who listened and cared because I listened. And because she knew that I was that kind of person, she would ask me things like, Matt, why, why are you so patient with those rude customers? Or Matt, why, are, why do you care about what's going on in my life? You seem to have things figured out, which I didn't. Why do you care about what's going on in my life? And I would tell her just simply like, you know, Jesus, it's Jesus. And she listened to what I would have to say because I listened to her. Now, in that same time period of my life, I had a group of friends, a group of guys that I grew up with. We went to youth group together in middle and high school. Uh, we played in bands together, guys I consider brothers, and I still do. Um, but they had all walked away from their, from their faith at that point. And as I was re-engaging with my faith, I was spending more time at church and with church people than them. I stopped calling and stop spending time with them as much as I used to, these friends. And after a while of this, they told me how they felt. They felt abandoned. And my lack of presence with them made them feel judged, like they were doing something wrong. Like I didn't care about them anymore because I only cared about my church and my church friends. And while those relationships have been repaired and are good now, I realize looking back that in my attempt to spend more time with maybe we'll say church insiders like I was at the time, or I still am, church insider, I probably missed out on the opportunity to talk about with them why and how I was re-engaging with Jesus and my faith during those critical years. And because they felt judged and abandoned by me, I didn't have that ability to speak to them well about that. How we talk, how we act, how we live and care for people, these things create opportunity to talk about Jesus. Let me read verse five again. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So Paul, he's a Christian, and he's writing these words to Christians, to the Colossian church. So when he says the word outsiders in this verse, I think we all understand he's talking about people outside the church, non-Christians, maybe we could say it that way. Uh, so Paul's talking about non-Christians. He says, be wise in the way you act towards non-Christians and make the most of every opportunity. We start with the second half of that verse where he says, make the most of every opportunity, because I think this is the main idea of kind of what he's saying here, how to make the most of every opportunity. That word opportunity uh, in the Greek can be uh, very easily and simply translated to the word time instead of opportunity. And maybe some of your translations that you use say something like make the best use of time or redeem the time instead of make the most of every opportunity. But if you were to literally translate the words here from Greek to English, they would say something like, buy up the time. Buy up the time. Time comes and time goes. Moments come and then they're behind us. Opportunities happen in time. A door opens, we get a chance, but it's not there forever. So when an opportunity to share about Jesus comes, we have to buy it up, snatch it up like a bargain. 
make the most of it. And to do that, we have to make sure we handle it the right way. And that doesn't mean just saying the right thing, but making sure we're the right person to say it, and we say it in the right way. What do these opportunities look like? How do you know you're facing one? Well, Matt, that's a big, broad question, and I don't think it has a simple cookie-cutter answer, but I do have a few thoughts about that question. How do you know you're facing an opportunity? What's it look like? First thought is, you've prayed about it. We talked about this last week, about praying for opportunity. Verses three and four, Paul asked the church to pray for his opportunity, open door and a clear message to share about Jesus. We also talked about that those are prayers that aren't just meant to pray for other people. Those are prayers we need to be praying for ourselves. God, open a door, help me have a clear message. And when we pray for opportunity, I think two things happen. Number one, God gets to work at making the opportunity happen because prayer works and God listens to those prayers and he loves to answer those prayers. And second, when we pray for opportunity, it puts us on watch for the opportunity. Uh, When we pray for something, we tend to look out for how God's going to answer it and how it's going to get resolved, right? So when we pray for opportunity, I think naturally we start to get on the lookout for those opportunities we're praying for. We get on the lookout. Second thought about this is that for most of us, I think the best opportunities we have to share about Jesus come in the context of existing relationships. People you know and who know you. And maybe the opportunity might come in the form of a question from a friend Maybe a question like, hey, you're always going to church things. What's up with your church? Or, um, you know, I've never really seen you get angry. Why is that? I have trouble with that. Could be anything. Question like that. Or maybe an opportunity in the context of relationship comes in the form of a crisis. That person's going through something. And they could really use someone to care, to listen, to help, and to bring peace and comfort into a situation. So opportunities happen in the form of relationships. And my third thought on this is that not every opportunity is the big moment. Not every opportunity is the come to Jesus moment, but every opportunity is a come closer to Jesus moment. To break down some walls or to help someone rethink assumptions about Christians or Jesus and what they've heard, what they've assumed. And that may require words or it may require action on your part. When we get a chance to show that we love someone, to care for someone, or to bring hope and joy into a broken situation, these are opportunities for us to help someone make steps closer to Jesus, even if it's not that big step, the final step. Uh, I've handled so many opportunities so poorly in my lifetime, so poorly. Uh, During my days in seminary, when I was getting my master's degree, uh, I thought I was the smartest guy in the room. Now, mind you, I knew I wasn't the smartest guy in the seminary classroom. That's not what I'm talking about. I was far from the smartest there. But amongst all my non-seminary friends, I thought I was, I was it. Yeah, come to me, friends. I've got all the answers. And that's how I thought about myself for a long time. Um, but during that time, you know, I'm away at school, and, and uh, many of my friends were back home where I grew up. So uh, unfortunately, a lot of our interactions happened in one of the worst places on the planet, and that is on social media. Uh, word of advice for you, friends, don't argue with people on social media. Just stay out of that. No, you're not going to win that argument, okay? You're not going to win, the other person doesn't win, and the rest of us who watch it happen, we don't win. So just stay out of that in case you're wondering. Um, yeah, thanks. So, uh, but I didn't know that when I was younger. 
Because you see, I thought, I thought I was the smartest. And my words were going to convince people. And I had some friends going through some stuff, and they would post questions on, you know, on Facebook or whatever about life and faith and some of their crisis. And, and I would come into that with some of those famous words, right? Well, actually, blah, 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 blah. Keyboard warrior. Thinking I was going to argue them back into sort of a right mindset over the internet. Man, was I wrong. Definitely uh, only made things worse and made me seem like kind of an uncaring, arrogant jerk that would rather be right and look right than pick up the phone and give them a call and check in with them. Why would they listen to someone like me? Uh, When opportunities come, we got to make sure we handle it well because that opportunity may not come around again. Got to make the most of every opportunity. Thankfully, Paul tells us how we can do that. Verse 5 starts with the words, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Now, wisdom is a fairly broad concept. If we look throughout the Bible at how wisdom is talked about, you begin to see that wisdom belongs somewhere between knowledge and action. Knowledge is understanding ideas, understanding concepts, but knowing about something doesn't mean you know what to do with that thing. Wisdom is what enables us to put understanding into action. Uh, There's an old saying, kind of an old example of this. Maybe you've heard it. It's a good one. Uh, Knowledge, here's the saying, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Some of you might be finding out a tomato is a fruit for the first time. It is, look it up. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to use it in a fruit salad. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you, I don't know, maybe you're one of those tomato fruit salad people, I don't know. But for your faith, and for our faith, right, wisdom, it enables us to determine how to live out our understanding, our understanding of God, what he says in the Bible, how we're gifted. Wisdom enables us to live that out. Uh, Paul says this earlier in the book of Colossians chapter 1. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Filled with knowledge, through wisdom, live a life pleasing to the Lord. Wisdom is knowing how to live your faith in any situation. We have to be wise in how we act towards outsiders, non-Christians. To do that doesn't mean you need to be a monk or a professor of theology or anything like that. You don't need to be the know-it-all guy. In fact, it's probably better if you're not. Trust me, I've been there. (laughs) It could get ugly. To be wise in how we act towards outsiders, I think means a couple things. First, that you live authentically. You're not one person at church and around church people, and then a totally different person when you're with people that don't go to church. You're you, and you live this integrated, authentic life following Jesus, no matter where you are and no matter who you're with. So I think that's one thing. Second thing, I think it means that you live differently. Being a Jesus follower means you're different. (laughs) I hate to tell you, it's true. Different in a good way, though. Because you're trying to be like Jesus, which means pursuing holiness 
but it also means pursuing unholy people. You know, Jesus didn't insulate himself from sinners or tax collectors or the sick, people that were considered unholy. He went to them and ate with them and stayed with them. He was friends with them. He didn't retreat to his holy huddle and say, you sinners, stay away. In fact, it was the holy huddle people, the Pharisees, who hated what Jesus was doing and eventually put him to death. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, he uh, calls a guy named Matthew to a tax collector to come be one of his disciples. Then he goes to Matthew's house for dinner, and, and we read what happens here. Matthew 9. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Professor and theologian N.T. Wright, he comments that being wise towards outsiders means to follow Christ as God's pattern for full, authentic human living. Blameless life lays the foundation for gracious witness. Jesus was holy. He was the holiest. He didn't do the things that God didn't want people to do. But he didn't run away from the people that did those things. His presence with them communicated something. That they mattered to him, they mattered to God, and that things could be different if they chose to follow. And that's our pattern for wisdom, being like Jesus. To be holy, but not huddled. To be different, but not separated. In fact, your pursuit of holiness and your being different, coupled with your enduring, caring presence with people, will open doors for opportunity to talk about Jesus when the time comes, when they need care, when they need grace, they will look to you. Paul has more to say about this wisdom, making the most of opportunities in verse six, where he writes, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Sharing the gospel, sharing the message of Jesus is an urgent task, and it's up to us. But eagerness and urgency, <laughs> they don't give us permission to be rude or arrogant. Getting the message right doesn't mean that we can be bad messengers. When it comes to the gospel, right, the message that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for our sins and rise from the grave, the messenger for the outsider, the messenger is often just as important as the message to how it'll be received. Let your conversation be full of grace, Paul says, seasoned with salt. Be a good messenger, however you're delivering the message. Now, that word uh, in the NIV, the says, let your conversation be full of grace. That word conversation, translated here, is kind of a broad term for speech or talking. And it could really mean anything from casual conversation to preaching uh, or lecturing uh, and everything in between. So, 
So in whatever opportunity you have to talk about Jesus, whether it is from, uh, you know, a stage or over coffee or even typing something on social media, be a good messenger full of grace. The message of Jesus is a message of grace and the messengers of Jesus need to be full of grace. The message of Jesus is a message of grace. I mean, that's it. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. That God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. That's grace. That we are saved by grace through faith. That's the message. And it's unfortunate that we Christians, we often muddy those waters of grace. We like to focus on what we can do, or maybe even more so what you should be doing. And the message becomes, don't do this, do this, and then you can receive what God has for you. But that's not grace. God's grace is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All the do's and don'ts, that comes in response. But that's not what puts God's grace into effect. The message of Jesus is the message of the free gift of life through the death and resurrection of Jesus, received on our part through faith. And when the opportunity comes to talk about Jesus to someone who doesn't know him, that's what we should be talking about. And you know, the best way to, to kind of communicate this message of grace is to, to talk about how God has worked in your life, how you have seen God's grace at work, your story, and your honesty about what you've seen Jesus do, how you've experienced grace. That's a great message. But you, the messenger must also be full of grace. If you are not gracious, if you are not kind or caring, empathetic, patient and generous, if that's not you, why would anyone listen to you talk about God's grace? And why should they, right? You might be right about who he is. You might be right about that, but if you're not good, then it's not going to matter if you're right to that person. Uh, these days, I'm much more of a social media observer. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, I don't write anything, really, but, but I kind of observe and, and, and watch and read and try to learn from that. And, um, you know, news and theology and opinion and other things, sports. I find Twitter to be the quickest and fastest source of information um, when it comes to social media, but I also find it to be <laughs> uh, a place where the worst of humanity comes out. And I, I follow some theologians and church leaders who, you know, they write little things now and then. And one thing about Twitter and a lot of social media is they'll often give you suggestions for other people to look at. And they'll put in your feed, uh, you know, words and tweets and posts from, from people who are kind of like the people you follow, kind of suggest more content for you. And so I get, a lot of, uh, I get a lot of content from people I don't follow, church leaders and theologians and stuff. And I got to say, I... I'm often disappointed in what I see, often disappointed. There's a lot of arrogant, ungracious words that are spoken from Christian leaders about non-Christians and other Christian leaders as well. And uh, if you dare to get into reading comments on posts, which I don't suggest, it gets even more disappointing. People affirming combative words or arguments, which like I said, no one wins. It often disappoints me. A uh, man by the name of Esau McCulley, he's a doctor, a professor, a theologian at Wheaton College. 
He puts my feelings on this into words pretty well. He actually tweeted this, so it's kind of ironic. But he said, the darkest parts of Christian social media are the places where people have convinced themselves that their sincerely held doctrines release them from the responsibility to display the fruit of the Spirit. Virtue is also biblical. We can't just focus on being right. Yeah, we need to be right about God and make sure we get some of those things right. But we can't just focus on that. We have to also focus on being good. A good message from a bad messenger will be received as a bad message. That's not just on social media, right? The good message is delivered by bad messengers all over the place, from pulpits and coffee shops and blog posts and small groups, from everywhere. And while the message may be correct, it doesn't do a lot of good coming from a bad messenger. And, I, you know, I've observed all these things and I've noticed something about the, you know, brash and arrogant and combative words about the good message of Jesus, that the, the people that affirm it and like it and eat it up, it's the church people, the insiders. It's not the outsiders. We eat it up. It gives us a chance to say, look, I'm affirmed. Yes, yay, I'm right, and you're wrong. But to the outsider, the one who needs this message of grace that Paul is talking about and pointing us to, that sort of message from that sort of messenger is a reason for that person to say, ah, if your God is anything like you, I don't really want a part of that. You're no different than the rest of the world. We have to be good messengers. A message of grace from a messenger full of grace. A messenger who cares, who listens. A messenger who isn't looking to win an argument all the time, but a messenger who lives authentically. Seasoned with salt, as Paul says. Pleasant and useful and palatable. Salted, but, <laughs> but not salty. Uh, there's an old proverb. It's not in the Bible. Uh, just an old saying. It says, shallow waters are noisy, and deep waters are silent. Don't know the origin, but I find it to be fairly generally true. And I think it means that, you know, immature people tend to make a fuss, while more mature people tend to be a little more understanding and quick to listen. And I think it's generally true that the more mature we are, the more gracious we become. And when we think about this in terms of faith, maturity, it doesn't mean having more knowledge, it means having more wisdom. When to speak, when to listen, and how to live. You know, when I was younger and younger in my faith, I, I so desperately wanted to be right. I did. To win the argument, to look good, to believe the exact right things and sort of stand on this theological hill and say, look at me. <laughs> I'm right, come up on this hill with me and we'll be right together. But as I've grown, I think, I think I've changed and realized that oh, I don't know if this faith is so much about being right all the time as it is about being wise. Because knowledge and wisdom are different things. Knowledge would say, look, I'm right about Jesus. And wisdom would say, I think, I want to be more like Jesus. And I believe the more mature we are in our faith, the more gracious we become. And the more gracious we are, the more seasoned with salt our message will be. 
and the more intrigued the outsider will be about what's different about us. Because when we live well following Jesus, it's noticeable. And that invites questions and comments from friends and neighbors, people you know, and they might ask you things. Again, why are you so patient? Why do you go out of your way to cook meals every month for a new place? Why do you buy school supplies and donate it to kids in Burlington? Whatever it might be. Your living will tell the story of God's grace. How Jesus has changed you, and that is noticeable. And it will invite those sorts of questions. Questions, I hope, that we'll all be able to answer graciously with the message of God's grace. Tim Keller, pastor, author, said these words. The most basic requirement for personal faith sharing and witness is not any kind of formal training. The primary need is for the kind of courage, vulnerability, humility, love, and patience that come from a heart grown spiritually mature in Christ through the word, prayer, and involvement in the church and worship. Sounds like wisdom to me. So let me just wrap up and leave you with a couple things to do to not waste your summer. Two things, simple things. Number one, create opportunities to talk about Jesus. Opportunities sometimes come along organically and how you live is gonna determine that and invite that and that's good and we need to be ready for that. But sometimes we have to be intentional about putting ourselves in positions for those opportunities to take place. Getting together with people we know might uh, need someone to listen or might need to hear the message of Jesus from a gracious messenger. And not just to talk at them about it, but to listen well, to care, and maybe bring peace if peace is needed. So create opportunities for yourself. Make a list. You, your spouse, your family. Is there a person or a couple people that this summer you can be intentional about spending time with? Inviting over for dinner, hey, let's take our kids and have a beach day, whatever it might be. Be intentional about sharing life, be a good friend, and if the opportunity comes in that context, be ready to share the message of grace. So get it on your calendar, make it happen, be intentional about it. Second and last thing I'll just leave you with here. This summer, don't waste your summer. Continue to step into maturity. We don't want to be bad messengers, right? I think part of that means we have to deepen the waters of our faith. So don't neglect those things that do that. Spend time in God's word this summer. Spend time in prayer like we talked about last week. Don't neglect being in church for worship and meeting with people. Don't neglect your small group if you guys are doing over the summer. All those things and all those spaces help us know God more and help us grow in our wisdom so that we can know how to live well. So continue to step into maturity this summer. It doesn't just make a difference for you, but for everyone around you, especially those who you might have an opportunity to share Jesus with. You know, each of us is entrusted. Each of us who follow Jesus, who have said yes to them, we are entrusted with the message of God's grace. And that is such a precious thing. It's an important thing. I think it's the most important thing. 
So we need to try not to blow it. It's too good to be handled poorly. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned each and every one of his followers throughout the ages to go and make disciples of all nations, to be witnesses of his goodness and his grace. Paul knew that, so he wrote to the Colossian church to help them to remember that. And for us today to read these words and remember that as well, to be devoted to prayer, to live wisely, to be good messengers of the good message. Friends, don't waste your summer. Enjoy your summer, enjoy it, but don't let it go to waste. Continue to engage with God, engage with your faith, be on the lookout for those opportunities. Maybe be intentional about creating them while you're in a different rhythm during these summer months. And I know if you ask God, he will make sure your summer doesn't go to waste. So be ready, be gracious, and I think good things will happen for God's glory. Um, Let's close in prayer, church, would you stand with me? God, thanks for trusting us with this message to tell people about how good you are and the thing that you've done and the things you continue to do. That your grace does not run dry. Thank you for entrusting that to us. And help us, Lord. Help us to be gracious as we share the message of grace. You know, I think we all get it right sometimes and get it wrong sometimes. Lord, help us not to feel afraid or ashamed of getting it wrong, but help us to learn and grow and continue to make the most of every opportunity. Because your gospel is such a good and precious thing. And those of us who have experienced it in this room or watching online, we know that. So help us to talk about that and talk about it well. Lord, be with us. Help us to grow where we need to grow. Help us to be excited about those opportunities. And Lord, this summer, as we enjoy time off and enjoy time in the sun and continue to work and do the things we normally need to do and that we're obligated to. Lord, when we know you are with us, when we know your grace in a new way and help us, Lord, to talk about your grace very graciously. So God, we just thank you for that. And as we go from this place today, we ask that you go before us and you go with us and you would do a good work for your namesake in our lives and in the lives of our friends and family. It's in your precious name we pray, amen. Amen, church. Happy 4th of July. Enjoy your day, enjoy tomorrow. We'll see you again soon. God bless you as you go. Draw me